Welcome to Tuesday at 10. This is Carl Treacher. I'm joined again by James Carter as we talk more about the changing nature of the workplace, check in with MIOB's GM of Customer Success, Nat Thien, and explore office politics and psychological safety in general. James, welcome to the program. Thanks, Carl. It's great to be here. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good time to do this. I think a few weeks ago we, we started talking about environments um, and the changing environment, and a lot of people are getting back to work or back to the office. A lot of people have stayed at work, and um, you know, I think I think we should return to that subject. I had a little anecdote for you. Um, one of the uh, one of the jobs I was uh, I was involved in um, was moving a, a a business into a new office space, um, and they spent a lot of time the organisation understanding their brand, understanding how to translate those brand values into the new space, and they made a really lovely space. But one of the one of the major um, flaws in their decision making was in how they um, transferred people and how they allocated uh, space to people in their office. And they did, they did some interesting things. They, they, um, they, gave their, they had this space with some really lovely views and they gave their uh, boardroom a nice view. So the common space had a nice view. Then they had their, um, their senior managers had lovely offices with, all, with lovely view, views. Sounds lovely. It was, it was very nice. And mm. then the sales, they were all looking out over Sydney Harbour. You mm. could see the Opera House, the bridge. It was beautiful. Um, and then the, the the sales team also had a really nice space, so that was quite nice because obviously the sales team was sometimes treated poorly. But the the middle managers in that business, um, who basically ran the business um, fr- from an everyday point of view, had sort of had I don't know if they'd been overlooked in the thought process, mm. but they put them sort of in the middle, and that whole team that whole team of middle managers felt like they just weren't valued in that organisation. And over the next year, I think about ninety percent of that team, the the middle management, left. Yeah. Um, so I think you know that highlights how important it is to get um, to get it right. Um, but also, um, it's interesting to talk about environments and, and how they affect your business and 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 why it's worth investing in them or not. That was a lovely little anecdote. So, technically, when you look inside employee engagement uh, norms and trends, right, you look at senior management, middle management, and employee workforce. The middle management, there's often a bit of a hockey stick in terms of engagement. So, senior leadership have a very engaged quite often. Let's face it, they're being paid a little bit more. They've got um, decision-making rights. Um, they're involved in the vision of the business. They feel a sense of progress. Employees often protected by middle managers as well, so their engagement is quite high. And often the lowest point of employee engagement is that middle management manager group. So if you're going to be looking after anyone in terms of a workplace design and strategy, it really should be the middle management group because they do run the business. You're also going to make sure they're the right people. But right now, organizations all over Australia and the world are reimagining what the workplace is, what it needs to be. Um, many, many things to consider. Uh, one of the things that we did notice was this desire to have uh, a rethink around collaboration. And some of the things that came out of the research recently is that collaboration isn't as easy remotely. Um, and people are now focusing very heavily on making it more efficient to collaborate. Not as much thought going into are we using the space as a task, a task space. So this is, this is how... So you really started going into that topic of how the environment's going to change yeah. as we move back into that office yeah. um, space. And so, what, you know, I, I think up to this point, it's been, yes, you know, people think about it in different ways. And look, I, you know, to be, we've been involved or I've been involved with you on um, with, with the Brand Institute on some interesting 
office refits and new yeah. office. Um, and the way you approach it or the way the Brand Institute approaches in your process is um, it's, it's very efficient and it also um, it, 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 it sort of takes into account every aspect of that build. And we've, you know, we've gone in together and, and, and an organization has an architect, they have an interior designer, and they have a builder and they've sort of put together this plan and they're about to do it. And then, and then you, you tend to come in and go, hold on, <laughs> hold everything, <laughs> yeah. which yeah. is, you know, uh, and, and rightly so. And, and, you know, you can see it when we start looking through each piece and understanding how that connects to the brand, how it connects to the culture yeah. um, and going, no, no, this is all wrong. So what, how, do you, how did you get to that process and, 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 and what do you think the key points are to make it work? Yeah. Now, very selfishly, this whole pandemic has been um, if not great for business, but it's certainly put the, the shone the light on the fact that there is a real need for organizations to explore in great detail the psychological needs of their workplace. Yeah. So, you know, we've had excellent working relationships with some great partners in the past, uh, Public Design Group from a retail perspective. We just finished NAB's uh, branches with uh, WMK, also brilliant team there. And Chris, Chris Pullen was great to work with. Um, Future Space, we've done some terrific work with, you know, Gavin Harris, the design director. Um, and these, these people are incredibly competent. You know, they know exactly what they're doing from an interior perspective. And they do have a process around workplace strategy. So it's not really negligence. It's just that they hadn't um, they hadn't explored some of the other considerations that are so pertinent to longevity and sustainability in that space. So to start with, at a basic level, workplace identity isn't a, a subject that in Australia people talk about. So we, we focus on that. What is the identity? What's the unmistakable elements of this environment so that when employees roll up, they feel a sense of belonging without you telling them, right? So that's the first thing. How do I infuse or how do we infuse your brand and the culture, the successful culture or the aspirational culture into the environment. Now, that's not a conversation that architects or designers often have. No, and one of the, I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this, but one of the case studies, or one of the projects I was sort of involved with was with REA Group. Yeah. And they had not a very impressive office, but an amazing culture, yeah. right? And an amazing environment and this kind of incredible way of working. And we mm. did a bit of brand work with them and we sort of really got to understand that. Mm. A lot of brand work with yeah. them. And we really got to uh, got to understand that. And then they, they were moving into this new office. It was really worrying for them. Like, how do yeah. we take, you know, all this gold. invisible gold, gold. Yeah, and, yeah. And, trans and transfer it without, you know, causing the same problems as I mentioned in the anecdotes earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked to Natalie Fan later in this podcast, who was the CMO there yeah. at the time, now at NYB. Um, and, and that was, how do we take the, the rituals, the ceremonies, the trends, the norms, the behaviours that were so successful for them in what, you, what you're right in saying, a very average office. You know, they grew from a you know, $500 million business into a $6 billion business at the time in an office that was really had nothing about it. You know, there was no sense of character, yet they built the character through their culture. And then we had an opportunity to accelerate that through a purpose-built environment for them, um, which we did. And then everything from the naming convention to the conceptual elements of the graphics and building it into suburbs in Melbourne or throughout Australia really brought home the fact that they are the world's leader in digital property. In property yeah. resources. So look, that was that was one of the things. But we've done the same things with with consulting firms. You know, you have to get into the nitty gritty of what that space is for, what the organisation is about, and then how you can pronounce that to the actual engine of the organisation, which is which is the employees. And does do you, like because I I think um, I think there are some organisations that would just get it. Yes, the yeah. environment's really really important. Yeah. 
But I think there's a lot that, you know, feel, right, well, we're moving to a new office. Let's let's spend some tax dollars. Let's, you know, sure. reduce our tax debt yeah. by doing this. Or, you know, I want it to look really flash. But have kind of missed that real deep understanding of how important it is. When you, you've mentioned psychology. Mm. But, but to create an environment that that's really works for the people and, and you're proud to work for. And it's a, it's a real opportunity, right? It's a real opportunity, like redoing an office to make it work. Actually, I had another anecdote. I, Before I you do, because I, I, goodness me, who knows how long that's going to yeah, go for. One. Is it going to go as long as the last one? It's much shorter. Let's just get into me answering the first question before we get to that. So your point about some companies get it, they do get it, but there's a formula. So even if they get it and they've got the right intention, do they have the right practice to build it? That's, yeah. the, that's the key. Sorry, you said something about an anecdote. This is a, this is a, lovely, a, a lovely example. So I was working at another, um, another organisation. Seems like you've had lots of jobs. Um, well, working with, let's say. Let's one say job with lots of customers. Hashtag Fine. unemployable. Please continue. <laughs> right, we'll, go, we'll do that in another, another lesson. Am I unemployed? Another podcast. Am I unemployable or not? Yeah, that's I a good, good topic. I am unemployable. You are. You are unemployed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, one of the, this, was, this was interesting. So um, old business, old office that, you know, a new CEO came in and he went, right, it's time to do something to this office because it's 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 quite it was quite it's quite sort of, I don't really want to name the business but they they're quite who was it? I'm not going to name them that's why I said I didn't want to name them. no fair sorry it's okay. <laughs> who was it um, but but the offices had just been left in the state they'd been for probably I don't know how long it was five or ten years and and so the new team right I'm going to redo it and he did a really good job in the in the common areas mm-hmm. but they had a big sales team big sales force. Um, with lots of desks and they just they put that in the too hard basket so when you and and I'd say 80% of the workers in that building worked in the sales floor of this office and they came in the, the new day everything's been redone you walk into this amazing lobby it's all been done up you're like yeah this is great I can't wait to see what they've done to my area and they just left it from the rubbish carpet to nothing had been done and there was such a feeling of, you could see it as people arrived, you know, you could see them kind of coming in and go, wow, what are they doing? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. similar stories to the other one, so I don't know why I told them. Well, no, well, I'm, I'm, it's a pity you did, but the, the key thing that you were trying to say that I'll articulate better for our listeners is um, the key symbols of an organization's intent comes from where it spends its money. Yeah. So if a company is serious about we care about you, we're employee and customer centric, you know, we actually care about the engine room. They'll spend money on employees. You know, we just finished a, a one of a, a, a branch refit of, um, you know, one of the banks, which is a very, very large project, but didn't matter whether it was that bank or other banks. I'm perpetually amazed that all this effort goes into the customer space and it is often terrific, but rarely do they spend as much time on the employee space. Well, there's a few reasons, right? So you don't really want your employees feeling like it's luxurious and I can't wait to go at the back and play Game Boy. Like that's not really the idea, but it is important to make sure that back of house, which is the you know, traditional sort of language for that employee space, is employee centric, does provide them with comfort, does provide them with the things that they need so they can actually front up and do a better job not only from themselves, but also for, for the customers and the organisation. Yeah, well, I've been to a few uh, few appointments in Google over the years and... Um, Interviews. Well, Interviews. I've been, to, sorry, let me rephrase. I've been to a few interviews, unsuccessful. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, um, but they have an amazing 
um, they have like so the first time you you, yeah. you go there, someone nice. introduces you to the space and yeah. says, "Oh, we're having you. You know, we're doing the workshop in here today. There's a food station here. There's mm. an, and they've got these. They sell. You know, Google says you can't have, be more than X far X distance from a food station in the office. Everything's yeah. free. There's free lunches. It's all amazing. Yeah. And like you can't help but wanting to go there and mm. enjoying being there, mm. which is obviously from an employee satisfaction point of view. And I think. Uh, Google topped our employee satisfaction list that we did uh, we did a few podcasts ago actually and mm. unsurprisingly mm. because when you're taking that much care over the environment and the, the difference it makes to the psychology of the employee and their output mm. as an employee in having a great space and, a, and somewhere you're proud to work and feel like you want to go to is, is unbelievable. I just love it that you keep leading me into former clients. So our work with Google Foods, you know, we work with Google Foods in order to work yeah, out. It's not, a, not a huge part of Google, is it? The Google Foods department. An enormous study we, we conducted with Google Foods. Now, you might be surprised to know that there's essentially three major cafes in every building at the time. Um, was it was this wasn't about what food they had. It was there's a heap of strategy that went into it. How do we? They were all about fueling Googlers. Like, what's the best fuel? So there's the the dark side of this, of course, where the the cynical and skeptical will say, look, you give people food, they stay at work longer, and you get more out of them, right? That was sort of the old way that law firms would you know provide meals for their their people. Um, but it's more than that, and Google do a great job in terms of their their culture. And this is just one asset and one element to help surround the employee with the things that um, that actually they value so um look i think i think that's that's all interesting and that's that's where we i think that that we've taken it to where you got to um prior to covid really yeah now post covid we've got you know we've got a huge uh huge number of people that have been working from home and obviously of various levels of success right but for some people it's probably been quite a successful exercise we've certainly seen that in our industry and the people we work with some people are going i love it other people are going i can't wait to get back to the office mm. But how does that, and, and you did touch on this earlier, but how does that change? How does that environment change now? You, you know, do you need to entice people back to work? Do you need to make it, you know, how do you get people back to work? Um, does the way you work change? You know, so I think you've talked about collaborative spaces. Yeah. Like, so this is now, it's no longer, oh, do you want another anecdote? No. I'm gonna give you an anecdote. You seem very keen. Um, a, guy, a friend of mine works for the government and they've just moved into a brand, or they actually haven't moved in yet, but they just had a brand new building built um, and it's all hot desking. Mm. Right? So this is an issue. They've not managed to go into that office yet. They're, they're, it's a big tall building, lots of lifts. You're only allowed one person in the lift at a time. That's a problem. You're only allowed one person in the lift at a time now. That's not how it was designed um, because, of, because of self-isolation. And also all the desks are hot desking. How do you manage that in this environment? Is is hot desking is hot desking still a reality, a positive reality for a business, you know, for a large business with the same employees coming in every day? It depends. It depends. A lot of organisations will try and make it work. That everyone's in retrofit. How do we take all of our investment? You know, there's a sunk cost bias here, obviously. So there's a if you spent money, you've got a bias to try and sweat the asset. You know, we spent money. How do we make it work? So everyone's trying to work out what that looks like. There's those that are going to take the most, most humane and actually psychologically smart steps to reshuffle the way the organisation um, supports its employees from where they sit and how they surround one another. And there's others that are going to try and cut corners. 
Um, there are gu guidelines being established around this. There's some out at the moment in terms of code, but it's up to every organization to make the best decision for their people. We also checked in with uh, Natalie Fiam, the GM of Customer Success at MYOB, to ask her about her impressions and opinions around COVID, COVID workplace, how people will come back and what's been going on at MYOB. And this is what she said. So Nat, welcome to the show. Um, great to have you on. Thank you. Now we've obviously known each other for a long time, but you are currently the GM of customer success at MYOB. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure thing. So I have just started a new role in the last couple of months, uh, looking after a new and establishing a new customer success function, which is really thinking about how you ensure that all of your customers are getting maximum value from their products or subscriptions. Um, and essentially, if they are utilizing your products, they'll understand and experience the value that they give them and therefore they'll stay with you. Um, but it is a new role. And I think interestingly for this conversation, you know, we've just done a whole new operating model and rolled out a whole new structure whilst being in mid COVID world. Mm. So from a cultural perspective, it's um, been quite interesting. Mm. I've, I've noticed a lot of companies really moving towards, you know, chief customer officer roles. And I imagine this is something very similar. It is. I think if I, you know, reflect on having a chief customer officer, the challenge with having a chief customer officer in my mind is it sort of indicates to the organization that there's this one role or department that is the holy custodian of the customer, which really defies, you know, the logic that every single part of an organization creates a customer experience. Mm. So I quite like thinking of myself as a GM of customer success in that there are elements of the customer strategy, certainly that, that my area own, but at the same time it does acknowledge and I think importantly that the whole business really owns the customer experience. Now you and I've been out of out of touch a little bit over the years but I know we helped uh, rebrand and reposition MYB must be four or five years ago now. Yes um, and it would be four or five years ago it's been a while. Mental the um the the part of that positioning was obviously greater customer centricity and there's already enormous brand equity in MYOB. I imagine your role and would I be safe in saying that the culture itself has moved to become incredibly customer centric? Absolutely it has. I think you know, we've always been a customer-centric organisation in saying that we're customer-centric. I do think that we've come a long way in really thinking about that, what that means from a business decision. Uh, you know, you've really got to walk the talk. And I'd say that there's a, a greater emphasis now than perhaps on, but then there has been in the past on making sure that we're really walking the talk consistently yeah. through every touch point. Some of the uh, other work that we have enjoyed doing or that's been more satisfying, I suppose, than, than other work is moving organisations away from uh, a heightened, you know, focus on values only. You know, values guide the organisation. We like to say that behaviours define it. So when you talk about those decisions, I imagine that's not just the way people communicate with one another, but the decisions to invest, the utilisation of resources, um, that really are the key symbols of the culture. Have you got any examples of those? Absolutely. So our company purpose is defined as, so we offer accounting software to small and medium businesses really to help them start, survive and succeed. So if you look at a period in time like COVID, you've got fundamental business decisions that you need to make at that point in time. So if I use a really tangible example, 
fact, our whole budget for 2020 had a built-in price increase for our customers as of the 1st of April. So you immediately hit a scenario where you know that small businesses and our customers are therefore doing it tough. Is it right to put through a price increase? It's only a couple of dollars each month on a relatively um, you know, well-priced subscription. It's not it's by, by far not a uh, small business's biggest expense. But you do sit down and think, is it the right time to be doing that? And in this instance, it was, no, it's not. So we're not going to put through a price increase on the 1st of April and we'll hold it until further notice. You know, even in terms of COVID and where you choose to invest um, in thinking about what you can do. So, you know, for us, it's been about diverting, for example, resources that we have onto phone lines who can help small businesses understand how to apply for JobKeeper, for example. So I think there's a lot of decisions in there that you just think, okay, if we're really going to live our purpose, what is going to show our customers that we actually do want to help them start, survive and succeed? And what are they going to value? And so we've certainly, you know, I think been in a fortunate position to really help small businesses through this time as well, because we're in a business, you know, in a business that's relevant. Now, MYB has grown significantly in the last, I don't know, however many years it's been around, 20 30, it's been 40. around for a long time. Yeah. I think um, MYB, yeah, has at least 20 years, 20 years yeah. history. Okay. And so we once knew it as a, a box on the shelf at Officeworks that you'd buy and put a disc into at your Apple IIe or whatever computer you're using at the mm. time. And, and now it's, you know, you're a bona fide tech company. Um, w- what are the biggest changes that you've seen in the, your tenure in the five years you've been there? So I think it's really interesting over the last five years. The thing that I love about working in tech companies is that I think tech companies, just by the nature of what they do, do change all the time. And what we're seeing now is more companies who perhaps were more resistant to change are actually being forced to change. So now this word change is massive. Mm. And and to your point, it's coming up everywhere, right? And all mm. companies have to do it. So if I think back over the last five years, probably the key change for MYOB is, you know, I see change as a muscle that you just need to keep using. And the more you use it, the better that you strengthen that muscle and the better you get at it. And so I think, you know, for me, one of the reflections on the last four to five years is just MYOB's ability to, whether it's respond to the market, whether it's to, you know, pivot on a particular strategic decision that we've made internally, I do think that we can relatively quickly galvanise around or change direction. And that's really worked, you know, in our um, favour over this COVID period. I was actually reading something um, a couple of weeks ago around, you know, change and resilience. And that even if you think about the valuation of an, of an organisation, you know, that investors are going to look for resilience and a company's ability to change as something that's actually a tangible asset about that business. Mm. And so culturally, you know, working in a business that's equipped, that's resilient, is equipped to deal with change rapidly, it mm. puts you at a, you know, very advantageous position. Yeah. And and moving back into the workplace now. So we're currently involved in some workplace strategy and workplace identity um, projects, which is essentially new buildings where people are going to move into. So we're at that pivotal time in the build where we're trying to work out what is the actual role of the headquarters. You know, it used to be that people come in and sit down and they do their task work, they do their collaborative work there, they do the ideation. And right now it seems that with all the old plans are sort of off the desk. It's a big white piece of paper in front of us to say, okay, well, let's really think about this. We've now got other options in front of us. What is the role of headquarters and how do we utilize that best? And not from a a, you know, a hygiene perspective of how do we maximise return on um, commercial property, but really how do we help drive the business strategy through the one of the fundamental assets that we have, which is, of course, headquarters. 
are you guys thinking about um, you know the the role of your headquarters in Cremorne and oh. offices? It's been a topic of hot discussion of late. So we're actually in the process of building a new office or expanding on our existing premises. We've got another premises across the road that we've been building for the last 12 months. And all of a sudden we're in this predicament thinking to ourselves, we're going to need the same amount of space because we're mm. estimating that a lot more people will continue to work from home a little bit more. Mm. And then to your point, what is the purpose of that space? One of the things that I like, I just look at, like I cannot wait to get back into the office. Right. Mm. So for me, it's about collaborating. It's about um, feeling like I can better communicate. It's the relationship building. It's the brainstorming that I just do better in person. But I also yeah. understand that there are people who don't need to do that in person. So when I think about spaces and some of the conversations that we've had is I think it's about thinking about spaces to suit the needs and for different types of work purpose. So if I use another example, I've got three young kids, right? So for me, um, doing the thinking work has been sometimes hard at home if there's kids around. So I yeah. like to go into the office and have somewhere that I can lock myself, Yeah. right? So I just, you know, to me, workplaces will become a place where you can work in any style or in any way that you need that space to be utilised for. So yeah. adaptable, flexible spaces that yeah, are not all just open plan, no offices. Um, look, thanks so much for your time, Nat. Uh, working with you is always unreal. Till next time. Thank you. And that was Natalie Fee. And so just moving on in, into this whole concept of moving back into the workplace. Before COVID, a lot of organisations were challenged with psychological safety as becoming prominent in their workplace. Essentially, people feeling, you know, we had a whole whistleblowing situation. Uh, Griffith University, the university we're associated with, uh, ran the biggest study and called Whistle Why You Work Too, which was a... Great name. That's great. That's brilliant. Uh, I didn't have any say in that. Um, but that's where I know you're leading me into. But no, unfortunately, not in this, not in this case. I so, thought that. It had you written all over it. Yes. Uh, so the, the point of that was, what's the likelihood of people to whistle blow? Like other people likely to, you know, dob people in to put their hand up and say, I'm having trouble here in terms of bullying or I'm, I think there might be some sort of collusion or snitches misconduct. Get stitches. Excuse me? That's the saying, isn't it? Snitches get stitches. That's a good saying for the workplace. That is, that is, that is a great saying in prison. So we should probably tell everyone this is our first or actually second podcast in person. James has joined me in my home studio uh, as opposed to being remote and um, you've been here for right now, half an hour? Half an hour. Yeah, it's longer than I really would have liked. And with that, that's uh, Tuesday at 10 for this week. Until next week. Thanks, Thanks James. Okay.